have a treat for you this morning. We're going to try something new. Dave and I are, are going to uh, preach together. <laughs> now, um, Dave's quite intimidating because he's preaching off a tiny iPad. <laughs> so I've got mine ready, I've had a go, but I reckon paper is the new vinyl. <laughs> so I, I like to think of myself ahead of my time. <laughs> so, let me just, let me do the intro. You may be wondering why there's two of us um, up here today. But Dave and I, we do, we have something in common. We both had a dream that we felt was from God. Um, for both of us, it was many years ago. Our dreams are different, and we've pursued those dreams over the years. And we both learned lessons, different lessons along the way about how um, you pursue a dream and how it comes to a fulfillment and what you live through along the way. And we just want to share that today. We've both been inspired by the character Joseph in the Old Testament. Um, you'll find that in the first book of Genesis. You know, at the outset, Joseph, he was a young man, 17. He showed very little promise. He was the 12th of 13 children. Uh, he had t the, there were 12 sons and a daughter. So the question is, how did Joseph become a man so extraordinary that Moses spent almost 14 chapters in the book of Genesis telling his story? Where did Joseph get the qualities of integrity, leadership, godliness in such measure that he went from the pit of slavery to becoming the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful nation on the planet at that time? You know, Joseph's heart, his mind, his spirit, they were refined in the crucible of rejection, loneliness, deprivation, and false accusation. He was a man who learned patience and obedience by becoming totally dependent on God. So dependent that God could use him as a source of blessing. Through Joseph, God explained dreams, revealed the future, he saved Egypt and Israel, those nations and, and surrounding nations from starvation. Joseph is an encouraging example of courage, integrity, forgiveness in the face of cruelty, temptation and hatred. Joseph wasn't born great, he became great when he placed himself at God's disposal. And that's the encouragement of this really, encourage us all to do that. He allowed God to demonstrate his greatness through him, through Joseph. And the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis has much to teach us about learning to live a life of faith in God by submitting to our circumstances and surrendering our lives to God's purposes. Joseph's story occupies more space in the book of Genesis than any other single individual, more than Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and even his father Jacob, who became known as Israel. Joseph is one of God's greats, a life lived for God's glory, even though he was terribly mistreated and suffered greatly, but he didn't respond with rage, resentment, or wanting revenge. Joseph deliberately chose to overlook unfair offenses 
and he learned to overcome enormous obstacles. And he extended forgiveness to his family who had caused great misery in his life and had even planned to kill him. I hope that I've managed to make you curious about the life of Joseph and the lessons we can learn from him. But now let me hand over to Dave. Thanks, Tom. Good morning. Um, as Thomas said, my name is Dave, and I'm a small group leader here at Trent Vineyard. Uh, I'm married to Sarah, and we have four beautiful children. I'm also uh, a pastoral support worker at the Carpenter's Arms, which is a Christian drug and alcohol rehabilitation center. That's a bit of a mouthful for a Sunday morning. Um, but I absolutely love my job absolutely love my job. In fact, if I was to describe to you what I do, I would say that I live the dream on a daily basis. But it hasn't always been this way. This morning, I'd like to share with you my recent journey of faith, which somewhat resembles Joseph's story, in particular when he was falsely imprisoned. Now, I haven't been to prison recently, need to <laughs> let you know that. Um, but I have been in a confined space, especially when God had promised something, um, something more. Now, prior to all of this, uh, I worked in education for 13 years. I was a behavior specialist, and the dream was, for me, uh, was to become a senior leader. Why? Well, when I was at school, I didn't achieve as well as I would have liked. And I don't have QTS. And QTS, for all the non-teachers out there, stands for Qualified Teacher Status. I'm not a qualified teacher. But yet I found myself in an educational establishment thriving as a middle manager. And in my drive, in my drive and my desire to become a senior leader, I wanted the money. But I wanted it mainly to provide a better lifestyle for my family. And if I'm completely honest, I also wanted the status. Now, often when we meet someone for the first time, the first question that they tend to ask us is, what's your name? And the second one, of course, is what you do. And often our response to that question often dictates the judgments that are made about us. And I was looking forward to saying, I'm an assistant head teacher. I was looking forward to that moment. Um, and so that was, that was my drive. That was my drive. And I used to think, actually, that my worth was found in what I did as opposed to who I am. And so, as I continued, I was told categorically that I'd hit my career ceiling. And it was at that point that I started to realize or feel like I was in that confined space. Tom, do you want to give a little bit more background to Joseph's story? Yes, let me take you on this uh, journey a bit more. Because I do love uh, the Bible account of Joseph. It is such a gripping story. It would make a great soap opera um, on our TV these days. Because Joseph was in a very dysfunctional family. You know, this is a story of a young, arrogant, 17-year-old who was spoiled. He was a dreamer. He gets himself into trouble with his brothers. You get the impression he'd done that a lot. And his dad, Jacob, uh, would like to send Joseph, his favorite, out to spy on his brothers. He didn't ever get on with his brothers because they knew that Joseph was his dad's favorite. And he had the coat to prove it. So they hated him. They didn't speak a kind word to him. He was rejected by his brother, brothers. And to make matters worse, he had uh, two dreams. And the first one Joseph had, he told his brothers, and they hated him all the more. 
um, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaths gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what, had, and what he'd said and probably the way he'd said it. Joseph continues to alienate himself from his family um, with his next dream. And we find this, it come up on the screens, Genesis 37, 9 and 10. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? You know, Jacob then sends his son, Joseph, to his doom without realizing it. You know, he sent Joseph out again to spy on his brothers and, uh, because Jacob just didn't trust his own sons. When Joseph's brothers see him coming, they know they're in trouble. They'd gone to Dothan, uh, an ancient city 13 miles north of the place their dad had told them to go. So they knew they'd been caught out. So they plot to kill Joseph. And I know that that's an extreme reaction his brothers have. And it leads to tremendous suffering, which Joseph didn't really deserve. And our first point today is Joseph submits to being sold into slavery. That's what we want to explore with you a bit. You see, they stripped Joseph of his coat, they threw him into a cistern, and then unbelievably, his brothers sat down and calmly had a meal while they're deciding how to kill him. And then Judah, one of his brothers, sees an opportunity to make money instead of killing him. So they sell him into slavery. And when Joseph's dad, Jacob, hears the lie that his son is dead, he tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, and mourned many days for his son. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And I know it's a crazy story, but you know, it's a true story. And the question you probably are asking yourself, and I certainly did when I read this, who would want brothers like that? You know, who would want to be a part of a, a crazy family like that? Joseph's life changed dramatically, and he, and he has to submit to being a slave in Egypt, aged just 17. Can you imagine that? His short life of privilege was over. I was a lot like uh, Joseph at that age, arrogant, full of myself, a bit of a dreamer, didn't actually deliver on anything. I wanted my dad's approval. I irritated my two brothers. I sort of knew I was the family favorite. I didn't know why. Um, probably because I was just so carefree, and which I understand is so irritating. But my dream, and it wasn't my godly dream, that will come later. My dream at 17 was to leave home, go to university, get a degree, earn lots of money, be rich and comfortable, and look after my mom and dad in their old age. And I believed in God at the age of 17, but, but I didn't have a relationship. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't realize it at that time. I attended church mostly to keep my parents happy. I was at a Catholic grammar school, 
You know, and, and this sort of sums up the environment, the religious environment I grew up in. I came home and I said to my dad one day, thinking, I've discovered something about our faith that maybe my dad doesn't know. Dad, do you realize Jesus was a Jew? And my dad said to me, he said, son, I don't know what they're teaching you at that school. Jesus was a Catholic. <laughs> and can you imagine? And for me, I just, in that environment, I couldn't reason with him. It didn't matter what anyone else said. And I was living in that environment. I couldn't wait to leave home, start my adventure, start to branch out. Um, but I didn't work hard enough for school, and I messed up my exams um, first time round, and I didn't get to go to university straight away. And I had to submit to continuing to live at home, to get a job, uh, and to just embrace working life. And I tell you, that was a big shock. Dave, over to you. Thanks, Tom. Um, it's interesting talking about um, submitting because I recall that when I was on my journey, my, my faith journey, that, that God revealed to me that there is a difference between submit and submission. And uh, these are words that we often use within, within Christianity. We often say that we need to submit and we need to surrender. And you'd be forgiven for thinking that they're actually the same thing, but they are actually two very different postures. Now, when I was uh, a lot younger, I remember waking up on a Saturday morning watching um, Saturday morning television, such as Why Don't You, um, Tiz Was, Going Live. Do, do, do you remember those programs? Good. I'm starting to feel a little bit old. There's a young person here thinking, I've got no idea what you're talking about. So oh, that makes me feel good. Um, but we used to watch those programs on a Saturday morning. And then at about lunchtime, there was a dark-haired gentleman with a thick mustache uh, by the name of Dickie Davis. He used to host a program called World of Sport. And it used to be on for the entire day, pretty much. And that was the indication that all children went outside to play. Because it was, it was pretty boring stuff. Um, but just before the show ended, at about five o'clock, there was a segment of the show that was dedicated to UK wrestling. Now, the States had the WWF, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. And just that alone sounds exciting, doesn't it? They had um, like these bodybuilding wrestlers that would step into the ring. You had like Hulk Hogan and uh, the Ultimate Warrior, Andre the Giant. And then over here in the UK, we had Big Daddy. <laughs> yeah, Giant Haystacks. <laughs> it made absolutely entertaining viewing, it really did. But the whole purpose of wrestling or the premise of wrestling was to get your opponent and to wrestle them to the canvas and put them in a submission hold which was uncomfortable, that was uneasy, which was difficult to get out of. And it was during that uneasiness that they would often tap the canvas and shout, I submit, I give in. Through the pain and the duress, I give in, I don't want no more. And that effectively is what submission is. Submission often comes from a place of grappling and fighting and wrestling. And when you just decide that I don't want no more, I give in. Surrender, on the other hand, is a very different posture. I'm going to um, sound quite old again to a few people, I'm sure, but my, uh, my dad used to watch quite a few westerns when I was younger, cowboys and Indians. And often there would be a stick-up. And the response to a stick-up is to surrender. Hands up. You know, I give up. And that actually is the posture of surrender. 
And this posture actually is quite reminiscent of the posture that Jesus had when he went to the cross for us. Jesus surrendered his life. And it stands to reason that if Jesus came and taught us how to live and showed us an example of how to live, it stands to reason that we should then surrender, give up our lives for him. There's a scripture that relates to this in John 10, uh, verse 18. And it says, no one takes it from me, referring to his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Surrender is about letting go and giving up everything to God. Everything. Submission is about grappling and fighting and coming to a place where you're just in that hold and you just don't want anymore. Is there something in your life that you're wrestling with? Are you wrestling with God? Do you need to submit or do you need to surrender? Tom, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so for me, back to my failure to get into university, I was in a place of, um, not, uh, of struggling, of wrestling, of fighting with God. Um, I wanted to, to break out of my life. I, while I had to submit to the working life, uh, I knew that I, I didn't want this as my long-term future. Uh, you know, and I suppose my question for you today, have you been in that place where you're wrestling with God? You're having to submit to something in your life. It might be at work, it might be in your family, it might be within some relationships, and uh, you're struggling, you're struggling because it's not what you want. It's not what you believe is best. So for me, a few years later, I did manage to get to university. And that's where I became a follower of Jesus uh, in my first term. Suddenly I realized there's another step to take. This actual connection that I can have with God, which is gonna make it much more possible for me to sort of reason with God. I met and married Helen within three months um, after university and that was 31 years ago and uh, we've raised our kids and it was after we'd had our third daughter that my God dream came along out of the blue didn't expect it again we were we were living on a, 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 a an estate an outer estate here in Nottingham and just there was a sense in which God spoke to me two consecutive dreams but the essence of it led to me being convinced and Helen as well God's inviting us to go on the journey towards ordination towards full-time ministry and this isn't for everybody but that was my God dream and I went on that journey in two years graft and two years really pursuing that through the local church and at the end of that the dream just crashed I was convinced I got through and they just said no you're not who we're looking for it was a big uh, stumbling block and it was um, another moment where I thought, I want to struggle here. But actually, again, with Helen's help, I learned to just surrender. You know, it might be time for you to stop trying to wrestle and struggle and to move from that posture of submitting, that posture where you're just giving up reluctantly, to one of surrendering. 
In John 16:33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And there's a sense of which, when we surrender, the journey is so much more smooth with God. Back to the story of Joseph. So even though Joseph's dreams had died, um, he didn't get bitter. He got better. Joseph had God with him. The verses in Scripture, as you read them, say that several times. Genesis 39, 1-3, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, basically he just trusted him. He just entrusted all the responsibility of running the house. And then disaster struck. Joseph gets accused um, of, by Potiphar's wife of, uh, of raping her. It's a complete lie. It, it wasn't a one-off temptation he faced either. You know, he, the, the scriptures say he was a well-built and handsome. And she kept saying, come to bed with me. And he kept refusing. He did the honorable thing. And then she told on him. Genesis 39:22. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison... The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, how would you have felt having lived through those circumstances? I mean, here's some of my reactions I would have had if talking to God. I'd be saying, oh, come on, God. This isn't fair. Right, that's it. I give up. And there's that whole attitude that we can embrace where we decide, okay, I'll submit, but I'm going to get bitter. And we want to suggest that's the wrong route. And if you're in that place today, it's time to transition. Dave, yeah. over to you. Um, as, as you may recall, at the start of this talk, I mentioned that I'd hit my, uh, my career ceiling. And I decided at that time that I was going to make a career, well, not a career move, but I was going to make a sideways move uh, to another school to do a very similar job to what I was doing. And I remember when I went for interview at that school, one of the questions that I asked was to the head teacher was that, should I be successful today in interview? And should there be uh, an opportunity to apply for a senior position? Even though I don't have QTS, would it be possible to apply? And the head teacher said to me, that would be absolutely fine because we would recognize the skill and the experience that you bring to the role, so that wouldn't be a problem. So I thought, great, happy days, I've made it. And then sure enough, about a year later, there was a position that became available at the school. It was for an assistant head teacher, and it was for responsibility for behavior and safety. It was right up my street, or so I thought. And then they decided that they only wanted people to apply that had QTS. And it was at that point where I started to really wrestle with God. That was hard. That was difficult. I became frustrated and angry with God. You know, every door that I tried to open to unlock my dream was closed and firmly bolted. I couldn't open it. And I, I was angry. And uh, it was actually that time that coincided with uh, NLC, the National Leaders Conference that, that happens here once a year in January. And uh, 
God um, spoke to both Sarah, my wife and I, quite profoundly that week. And there were two people that did that. It was almost like they had a megaphone to speak for God. It was so loud. And one of those people was uh, Rhoda Fearon from um, Carlisle Vineyard. And uh, she led a seminar about being in tune with the Holy Spirit. And it spoke to us quite profoundly. Um, I was already reading uh, scriptures about Jesus at that time, about him only doing what he saw the Father do. And what Rhoda was saying is that her prayer was, is that every day she wants to have eyes to see and ears to hear what God is doing. And Sarah and I have taken that on. And actually, the guys at Carpenters, they, uh, they could attest to this. This has now become my mantra. I say it quite often, but it is so true. And we pray this prayer every day. And it is, Lord, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to know what you're doing at any given time. Because God is always up to something. It's just that a lot of the time, we don't know what it is. And when we're grappling and wrestling with God, we're not in any position to hear or see or know what he's doing. But it's only when we come to that place of surrender and we stop and we give up and we're still for a minute, can we hear exactly what it is that the Father's doing at any given time. The other person that spoke at NLC was uh, a senior pastor from the Kingsgate Community Church in Peterborough. Uh, Dave Smith, he gave a, a fantastic talk on the story of Joseph. And uh, he said something that was so profound again that just stuck with me, so much so that I went and bought his book. And uh, it helped me significantly during that time. And what he was saying was that when Joseph was in prison, when he thought uh, that he was going to become someone great, in that situation at that time, he perhaps would have thought, well, this doesn't look very much like anyone's bowing down to serve me at this moment in time. And uh, it looked very grim for him. But whilst he was in prison, he still used that time to serve God with what he had. So he, he kept on interpreting dreams for the prisoners that were in there. And there's a section from Dave's book that I'd just like to read to you, uh, which touches on that. It says, we often have to perse persevere through tough times before we can start living the dream. During this waiting season, God is at work, shaping, refining our character. But instead of simply waiting and hoping for better days, God wants to teach us to walk with him and enjoy blessing and the blessing on our lives. Even when the circumstances seem difficult and the opportunities limited, then and only then will we be ready for a greater blessing and responsibility and be able to walk in the fullness of what God has in store for us. That spoke to me quite loudly. And uh, that actually brings us on to our second point, which is Joseph surrenders to God in uh, his confined space, and God uses it for his purpose. Now, as I said, Joseph was in prison, and he interpreted these dreams, and he interpreted one of the dreams um, for uh, one of the king's servants. And uh, he, the, uh, the servant was restored to the palace, and then he forgot all about Joseph. Joseph was in the prison for another two years. And it just so happens that the king had a dream that no one could interpret. And then it was that same ex-convict that remembered Joseph and said, oh, hang on, king, I think I know someone that can help you out with this, and called for Joseph. And in one day, in one day, Joseph came from prison, went from the prison to the palace, and effectively became the prime minister of Egypt. And the dream was that he interpreted was that there would be seven years of plenty, of lots of food, and then there would be seven years of lack, of famine. 
And Joseph said, quite simply, uh, I would, if I was you, king, you appoint someone to steward and to store away all the food in the time of plenty for when there isn't one. And the king said, I agree with you, Joseph. That's a great idea. I think you should do it. And right there and then he was promoted. And also, thinking about what happened uh, earlier in the story when his brothers sold him into slavery, his brothers came cap in hand. This was 13 years after he'd gone into slavery. They didn't recognize him, but Joseph knew who they were. And Joseph decided that he was going to be forgiving towards them. You can imagine how Joseph must have felt, and there must have been a temptation there to take revenge on what they did. But Joseph understood that he was there for a reason and for a purpose. And to conclude the story somewhat, from um, Genesis 45, verses 4 to 5, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into, into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives God sent me ahead of you. I find that extraordinary, that in the midst of Joseph's plight, that he could look outside himself and see that there was a bigger picture. Often when we go through our difficult circumstances, we can only see what we're going through. We can only feel the pain and the anguish of what we're feeling. But often it's for our own development and for our own good. And it's often to benefit other people around us. But we only get to that place once we have eyes to see ears to hear, and a heart to know what God is doing, which comes from that place of surrender. Um, my last few thoughts to you before Dave sums up and takes us to ministry time is just this, just to share on a personal level a few things I've lived through. Because it's one thing to say we're going to trust God and we're going to surrender, but it's quite another thing to put those thoughts into action. I've lived through my, my sister Mary dying when she was in her 30s, leaving an 18-month-old baby, and that baby's now in, 20, in her 20s. I've lived through my dad dying suddenly at 83, leaving my mom alone for the last seven years. I've lived through my younger brother dying at 53, leaving behind a wife and teenage daughters who greatly miss him. These were great disappointments to me things I'd prayed about, things I'd hoped God would intervene on. And then Helen and I have raised four daughters, and we've had our fair share of challenges along the way, as many of you will understand raising children. Um, and there are beautiful girls who have now grown up to be young women. But we've had to deal with those challenges. We've had to trust and surrender to Jesus. Um, we've had to choose to get better, not bitter, as things have turned out not quite as we expected in, in different circumstances. And, and that's my question to you. Are you going to surrender to God? Are you going to trust Jesus? Can you forgive those who've hurt you? Can you see God's purpose in your suffering as he's refining you? Thanks. Um, and just to conclude my story very quickly, um, when I uh, was at my job, um, you know, it was, it was going from bad to worse in many ways. And uh, I was there trying to be faithful and to, to do the best job that I could, even though my circumstances weren't very good. 
And uh, I came to a, a prophecy evening here one time uh, at Trent, and uh, I was told that God could see my situation and that he was going to release me into my open space. And I remember thinking when I got that word, that space couldn't come quick enough because uh, I was there for a while. But what happened was is uh, my job um, became somewhat redundant. They no longer needed a behavior specialist, and they decided to merge my role with a colleague's role. And uh, they wanted us both to apply for the same job. And I remember coming home and speaking to Sarah about it. And Sarah was on her journey of surrender as well. And uh, we both had this peace about the situation. It didn't make any sense whatsoever because we should have been panicking, actually. But from that place of surrender, we just completely trusted God with what was happening. And actually, we thrashed it out together and we asked the question, what's the worst that can happen? And the answer to that question was, the worst that could happen is I could apply for this new job and actually get it. That was the worst thing that could happen because I didn't want it. I'd completely surrendered my desire and my dream to become a CDA leader. I didn't want it anymore. Uh, I didn't want anything to do with it. And so I, uh, I asked about voluntary redundancy and um, they were prepared to give it to me. It wasn't a lot of money. It was just enough money to get us through the summer uh, and then I would have to find a new job. But it just so happens that Tom was journeying with us at that time and mentioned the Carpenter's Arms and said that they're, they're hoping to expand it sometime soon and uh, just said it might be worth getting in contact and I did. And I had a chat with a, a member of staff there and submitted my CV and forgot all about it. Um, at this time, we'd taken redundancy, didn't have another job to go to, and we were weighing this all up. You know, this is perhaps not a wise move humanly. Um, you know, I've got four kids, I've got a wife to support, and I have no job. That didn't make any sense whatsoever. But inside, it made a lot of sense because we felt very much that this is what God was doing. I started to volunteer at the Carpenter's Arms one day a week, and it was absolutely amazing. I had a story to share every day I came home from work about what God was doing. People were giving their lives to Jesus. Um, people were getting saved. It was, it was just absolutely amazing. I was, as Sarah would say, I was buzzing. I've, in fact, she would say it's the most alive she's ever known me to be, and I would have to agree with that. And in fact, this evening, tonight, we've got two uh, young men getting baptized from carpenters, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And so, so God then, obviously, I, I got the position at carpenters and uh, I started to thrive. And it's been an absolutely amazing journey. Uh, and God has just been so kind and so gracious. So as... A very well-known senior pastor would often say, as I come into land, I just want to leave you uh, with a thought. And the thought is that surrender is and should be a daily posture. A daily posture. And there's a friend of mine that often says, living for Christ is the only time in life where you surrender to win. Thank <laughs> you.